dawn was breaking when the whole fleet headed for the beach and started debarking the, the troops. The sea is calm tonight, off Dover Beach. The birds at dusk cry out syllables of some deconstructed word we are yet unable to decipher to explain existence. And they lift the last light with their wings, keeping the secret. At the time of the liberation of Paris, that fall, the fall of 44, I got orders to go back to the States and then cross the Pacific toward Japan, and we were loaded with 5,000 troops. It was supposed to be an invasion force, but unknown to us. The hills, drifting in at night through the Golden Gate to lie on the city at dawn. It was still high noon in America. Of course, Dr. Zeus Film Podcast, good evening. I am finally, because I've been so busy, paying tribute to Mr. Lawrence Ferlinghetti. He was not a California native, but California was his home until his death at the age uh, of 102, I believe, in 2021. So on March 24th, Lawrence Ferlinghetti would have been 104 years old. 104. That is nuts. He was born 104 years ago in Yonkers, New York in 1919. And he died February 22nd, 2021 at the age of 101 in San Francisco, California. He was a poet. He was a publisher. I mean, this, this man was very famous for a Coney Island of the mind which had been translated into nine languages and sold over a million copies. When Ferlinghetti turned 100 in March of 2019, the city of San Francisco turned his birthday, March 24th, into Lawrence Ferlinghetti Day. City Lights Books. I mean, if you've ever been to San Francisco, City Light Books. I mean, come on, how? It is a, an amazing place to go, and you can read, you know, about... Uh, not just for Linghetti, but uh, Ginsburg's how, you know, and how um, the First Amendment trial in 1957, where Ferlinghetti was charged with publishing an obscene work and acquitted, okay? And that's why I wanted to talk about that, because we live in a crazy a world where books are, I guess, going to be banned, or, <laughs> yeah, isn't that some crazy shit? Um, I played some clips for you of Lawrence Ferlinghetti at 95 from KQED News. And then another is from a documentary about him when he turned 90 called Rebirth of Wonder. Um, It's available on uh, King of Docs. Let's play a little bit of it. He had an interesting time in Second World War. The fall of 44, I got orders to go back to the States and then cross the Pacific toward Japan, and we were loaded with 5,000 troops. It was supposed to be an invasion force, but unknown to us.
We took a train to Nagasaki one day, and it was totally open. There was no guards or anything keeping people out. Of course, this was maybe six or seven weeks after the bomb was dropped. They'd cleaned up the site somewhat, and they walked around in this, like, a three-square-mile mulch of fused ruins, like human flesh fused to a teacup and bones and hair sticking out of this mulch. Every single building flattened and pulverized. When you realize the whole city, it just disappeared. It made me an instant pacifist, no doubt about it. Up to then, I was totally politically naive. I was a good American boy, Boy Scout. You never questioned it. Being in the military service, because this was World War II, which is called the Good War. And so there was no discussion about whether we should be in the war or should we have dropped the bomb. Years later, after I became more politically literate, I came to the conclusion we never would have dropped the bomb if the Japanese had had a white skin. It's a monstrous racist act. And that's Lawrence Verlinghetti putting his poetic... He's firing that poetic gun right there. Um, in 19... Was it 76 or 75? Uh, there was, of course, the famous Last Waltz by the band. And Verlinghetti came up to deliver the last prayer. We can cue it up. Let us pray. Our Father, whose arts in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Unless things change, thy wisdom come and gone, thy will will be undone on earth as it isn't heaven. Give us this day our daily dread at least three times a day. And forgive us our trespasses on love's territory. For thine is the wisdom and power and glory. Oh, man. That was delivered during the band's final performance in the 1970s. You know, Ferlinghetti had a very interesting life. I mean, not just 101 years, but... You think of what he did in terms of City Light books, and um, I, I wanted to just, uh, I, oh God, the man, the man was prolific. You know, that he was this New York um, man, and he comes to California with a dream because he knew, you know, the publishing in New York was just massively expensive. And um, so what happens? He signs this, I think it was a handshake in $500 in City Light Books, and um, it changed everything. And, and then thus we got, <laughs> we got um, Ginsburg and all these really great poets, and um, here we go. 
<laughs> it's been an interesting day. I got rained on, but anyway. Next, we have a baseball canto by Lawrence Ferlinghetti, a well-known poet who lived in San Francisco. He started the City Lights Bookstore. He was a brave man and a brave poet. is a more complicated individual than we're used to having in American writing. Poets, come out of your closet. Open your windows. Open your doors. There was this communication back and forth between the poets and the visual artists. Painters inspired poets and the poets inspired painters. He opened up the doors for all of us to celebrate the rights of our First Amendment freedom of speech. He has brought together one of the most amazing publishing houses in the world. You know, it's a place where you sat down in a chair and you read a book. Lawrence Ferlinghetti is a anarchist. Ferlinghetti never romanticized people in power. He was always suspicious of it. I salute the mass murderer by complicity. Lawrence is probably the most popular modern poet in the entire world. I may have been swallowed, but I haven't been ingested. And I'm indigestible. Ferlinghetti is still grappling and still speaking out and using poetry as kind of the ultimate freedom of speech. It is the voice of the fourth person singular. Poetry, the last lighthouse, the rising seas. When the AV Club travels, we always make time to visit pop culture landmarks. If something memorable happened in the world of film, TV, books, or music, we want to go there. We're not just tourists, we're pop pilgrims. We are now on our way over to the City Lights bookstore. People that we now consider part of the canon of American literature, like Jack Kerouac and Allen Ginsberg, City Lights was the one that published their books. They were the only ones that sold their books at first. A landmark institution in the history of the changes that took place in America. Let's start. Tell me about this place. Well, it was founded in 1953 by Lawrence Ferlinghetti, and it was modeled after the European bookstores, which had a publishing house as well as a bookstore in the same operation. Uh -huh. Lawrence's partner was a guy by the name of Peter D. Martin. Peter D. Martin was mostly interested in the journal. Ferlinghetti really had a broader vision, which was to create a publishing house that issued forth quality paperbacks. Hardcovers were very expensive. Yeah. And the great thing about a paperback is that, you know, you didn't have to spend a week's worth of wages on it. He wanted to make something that just some kid would come in and with an allowance money be able to pick up mm -hmm. and open up and just like and inspire he wanted to inspire a generation of people to look at poetry differently so the how was published as the pocket poet series yeah. and then what were the how did it wind up in court what happened it was the san francisco police department 
It was looked at and they, they figured that they could charge Ferlinghetti with obscenity. Because? Because there were words that uh, were questionable in the larger uh, scale vernacular. Words, yeah. Okay, so, you know, you certain four-letter words, and also but portrayals of human behavior and, and outlook. And the outlook was basically that something had gone wrong with America. Mm -hmm. And I think that was the real reason. Mm -hmm. It wasn't so much the four-letter words. The cop, did they come and arrest? They arrested him for pub they, being the publisher. They put the handcuffs on both Ferlinghetti and the manager at the time, Shig Morat. They're let out on bail shortly thereafter. I mean, someone made a mistake, actually. They thought they could kind of quell city lights by, you know, twisting their arm a little bit and mm -hmm. realize that behind city lights was, you know, the entire community. And not only that, but, you know, a, a national community of not just writers, uh -huh. but uh, the public itself. But you know, so much is made of the beats and really what we have to understand is that there's a longer continuum that they're simply a part of. Mm -hmm. After the beats came the movements of the 60s, later the punk rock movement and the seller of city lights, Search and Destroy, which is a very, very influential Punk Rock Journal was founded right here. Uh -huh. Later, the zine explosion. Um, so all kinds of things happen here. First and foremost, we're a cultural center. Okay. And this is really the nexus where the literary and the political meet. Uh -huh. And so we're, our job is to keep the avant-garde alive. So that is a history of City Lights Books in San Francisco. If you don't know where City Lights Books is, go visit it and walk I, I haven't I haven't been there in a while, but walk um, walk the halls of uh, where Ferlinghetti's dream came alive. It is located. Okay, is it closed right now? Okay, it's open. Okay, I could go like on a Saturday. Um, it's at two sixty one Columbus Avenue in San Francisco nine four one three three. They're open Tuesday. Okay, hours uh, Sunday through. Uh, Oh, jeez, I'm so tired. But they're open seven days a week. So, or is it eight days a week? See, I'm tired. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have two of, you know, during the pandemic. Oh, God, that 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 word. <laughs> that word. <laughs> I know, I'm going to tease some people off. I usually do. So, um, do I have... I have his books. You know, I have books. I think people are surprised when they find out I read. Like... Well, you know, come on. And, and I do love poetry. And, uh, <sighs> this is Lawrence Ferlinghetti, San Francisco poem. Never been to San Francisco. Um, come visit. <laughs> I mean, just the poetry alone. Think about it. Oh. I love his poems because he's, he's not holding back. He's just not. And I like his style too. You know what I mean? Just a, just a guy from New York City who came here, started a dream, um, <laughs> and uh, furthered it and lived to be 101 years old. And he would have been 104 on the 24th. And I had been meaning to do a show about it. And I had just been busy. And oh, here we go. Discourse of on peace near the end of an extremely important discourse the great man of state stumbling on a beautiful hollow phrase falls over it and undone with gaping mouth shows his teeth gasping and the dental decay of his peaceful reasoning exposes a nerve of war 
the delicate question of money. It's funny that I'm reading that because I am having a root canal on Saturday. So let's go. And I have to remember to call the insurance company. See, I could write a whole poem about that. I mean, come on, let's go. Um, I, every time there are a few times I be, I'll drive and I and I have to stop myself and the car because there is someone with a city lights uh, bumper sticker and I'm like oh there we go a kindred spirit of the beats because you know you you don't have the beat poets without Ferlinghetti you just don't in terms of that publishing house and how he wanted to create that because he modeled it after these you know the European bookstores to have a printing press in the in the bookstore and then the paperbacks you know it was all about the paperbacks i mean paperback writer <laughs> to quote the beatles come on the beatles knew uh there's there's so much to his i wish i have it somewhere i have a copy of a coney island of the mind i think it's in my backpack for work because every now and then i'll reaffirm the poems because i write poems but i don't show them to people because you know they're just not that great if anyone wants to read them, I'll read them to them. But, you know, like I, I knew someone in college who was a slam poet and it's like I couldn't do that. I just couldn't. I get it. I get it. You know, it's hey, you, you want to be out there. You want them to watch you. I don't want people to watch me in that aspect. Uh, yeah, there's there's a lot to poems. And, um, yeah, it was <laughs> book and cover design. Yolanda Montillo. City Lights Foundation, San Francisco. That's why you gotta get those books. You know what I mean? You gotta get them and you gotta read them. And then you have to watch A Rebirth of the Mind about Ferlinghetti. There's there's so much about him on um what's this? On uh YouTube and you know, I'm sure there's something of him on uh TikTok. A North Beach scene. Away above a harbor full of cockless houses among the Charlie Noble chimney pots of a rooftop rig with clotheslines, a woman paced up sails upon the wind, hanging out her morning sheets with wooden pins. Oh, lovely mammal, her nearly naked breasts throw out shadows as she stretches up to hang at last the last of her so white washed sins, but it's wheat wetly amorous and winds itself about her clinging to her skin so caught with arms appraised she tosses back her head in voiceless laughter and choiceless gesture then shakes out of her gold hair while in the reachlessness seascape spaces between the brown white shrouds stand out the bright steamers to the kingdom come <laughs> oh jeez I love his stuff you know I wish I had. I have it, but I don't know where it is. <laughs> a, Co a Coney Island of the Mind by uh, uh, Lawrence Ferlinghetti. Let's see here. A Coney Island of the Mind. There we go. If I can find it, because so many of his his poems. I, I saw this one rock band back in November, and they. They read from a Coney Island of the mind. They stole it. I bought mine. But anyway, you know, that's I guess that's the rock and roll thing to do is to steal it. But I don't steal. I purchase. Um, let's see here. 
I wish I, I wish I had another. Uh, okay, Coney Island of the Mind One by Lawrence Ferlinghetti. In Goya's greatest scenes, we seem to see the people of the world exactly at the moment when they first attained the title of suffering humanity. They wither upon the page in a vertebral rage of adversity, headed up, groaning with babies and bayonets, under cement skies and an abstract landscape of blasted trees, bent statues, bat wings and beaks, slippery gibbets, cadavers and carnivorous cocks, all the final hollering monsters of the imagination of disaster. They are so bloody real. It is as if they really still existed. And they do. The landscape has changed. They still are ranged along the roads, plagued by legionnaires, false windmills, and demented roosters. They are the same people only further from home on freeway 50 lanes wide on a concrete continent, spaced with bland billboards illustrating uh, imbecile illusions of happiness. The scenes show fewer turbulent but more strung out citizens in painted cars, and they have strange license plates and engines that devour America. That's one of them. Um, I think the one that he put, I am waiting. Um, I could read this forever. You know? It's always funny when you tell people you like poetry and that. Uh, that uh, you're, you know, weird. Because when you tell people you like poetry, they're like, eh, you're boring. Um, I, I have yet to meet people. Well, I've met a few people who like, like poetry too. It's like, okay, right. Um, the metaphors and, you know, yeah. I am waiting by Lawrence Ferlinghetti. I am waiting for my case to come up and I am waiting for a rebirth of wonder. And I am waiting for someone to really discover America and wail. And I am waiting for the discovery of a new symbolic Western frontier. And I am waiting for the American Eagle to really spread its wings and straighten up and fly right. And I am waiting for the age of anxiety to drop dead. And I am waiting for the war to be fought, which will make the world safe for anarchy. And I am waiting for the final withering away of all governments. And I am perpetually perpetually awaiting a rebirth of wonder and I am waiting for the second coming and I am waiting for a religious revival to sweep through the state of Arizona and I am waiting for the grapes of wrath to be stored and I am waiting for them to prove that God really is American and I am waiting for to see God on television piped onto church altars as if only they could find the right channel to tune on tune in on and I am waiting for the last supper to be served again with a strange new appetizer and I am perpetually awaiting a rebirth of wonder I am waiting for my number to be called and I am waiting for the Salvation Army to take over and I am waiting for the meek to be blessed and inherit the earth without taxes and I am waiting for forests and animals to reclaim the earth as theirs and I am waiting for a way to be devised and destroy all nationalisms without killing anybody and I am waiting for the linnets and planets to fall like rain and I am waiting for the lovers and weepers to lie down together again in a new rebirth of wonder and I am waiting for the great divide to be crossed and I am anxiously awaiting for the secret of eternal life to be discovered by an obscure general practitioner and I am waiting for the storms of life to be over and I am waiting for 
to set sail for happiness and I'm waiting for a reconstructed Mayflower to reach America with its picture story and TV rights sold in advance to natives and I am waiting for the lost music to sound again in the lost continent in a new rebirth of wonder. I am waiting for the day that maketh all things clear and I am awaiting retribution for what America did to Tom Sawyer and I am awaiting for Alice Warren to retransmit to me her total dream of innocence and I am waiting for Child Roland Childy Roland to come for the final darkest tower and I am waiting for Aphrodite to grow live arms and we're at a final disarmament conference and a new rebirth of wonder and I am waiting to get some new imitations of immortality by recoll recollecting my early childhood and I am waiting for the green mornings to come again youth's dumb green fields come back again and I am waiting for the some strains of unpermitted art to shake my typewriter and I am waiting to write the great indelible poem and I am waiting for the last long careless rapture and I am perpetually waiting for the fleeting lovers on the racing and urn to catch each other up on the last and embrace and I'm waiting for perpetually and forever <laughs> and a renaissance of wonder yeah that's Lawrence for Linghetti. uh City Lights books 104 years for Linghetti. we he he really is still here he's just still here in his words and he's still here in this magnificent publishing house that he bestowed upon us and um, I, I am just absolutely in awe of him and what he gave us and what he did to bring poetry to not just the masses but future poets themselves and so here at the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast I always believe in giving someone of that magnitude the last word because it, at the same time it doesn't matter if I tell you unpleasant dreams <laughs> I want to give it to Mr. Ferlinghetti who was just magnificent here's Mr. Ferlinghetti before we go unpleasant dreams and I giveth you Lawrence Ferlinghetti 100 years 104 years Painting recently called Arl Existing Plus, my Van Gogh series. In other words, Arl doesn't exist anymore. Where is Gauguin, Van Gogh? Where are they going to go today? If Gauguin goes to Tahiti, he'll have to stay in the Hilton. Those grass shacks aren't there anymore. We used to think, oh, there's always an island still further out where we can still get away. But the island further out has a Club Med on it now, at Morea. So that's what this painting was all about. There isn't any way anymore, and the dominant motor force behind this is the American monoculture. We've talked about ecology and the ecological crisis, but the problem of problems is the overpopulation. And that's the... Yeah. You can't solve any of the other problems until overpopulation is controlled. I get solicitations from places like Greenpeace, 
uh, any ecological organization. And uh, what I write back now, I write on the face of the application, uh, you should redirect your efforts to overpopulation control. And because that's below everything else, nothing else is solvable without solving that. Why are the rainforests being cut down, population, etc.? What will be the role of the American right wing in that? Uh, They'll be trying to keep well, the United States from participating in it, some kind of population right. education and reduction. Right, on abortion and on birth control. And well, I, mean, I think the Pope is in the Middle Ages. I was just in Rome and I was interviewed on this and about this. And uh, I mean, the Pope is uh, being really uh, uh, ignorant and sinful. It's a sinful position he has on population control. And so I've got the breeding blues. Plant your seed. And who's to stop it? Who's to say don't do it? Who has a right to say that it's a sin, that love is our blight in the night? It's a natural thing, the most natural thing, the most heavenly thing, the most blessed thing. So do it and sing. One of the most important things, I think, uh, is the way he distinguishes between political and lyrical poetry. Very important in understanding his work. And this came up when we were in Bixby Canyon, and suddenly he jumped up and said, I'm going to tell you why I hate writing political poetry. I said, wow, one of the most famous political poets in the world is going to tell us why he hates writing poetry. This was a scoop. He told us in no uncertain terms. He's a lyric poet, which is different. Political poetry, he said, really concentrates on things that are passing. They come, they go, and next year it's another political situation. But he and many lyric poets try to find the, the timeliness and timelessness in subjects that have a longer lasting quality. And these are the subjects of his poetry. But the fascinating thing, you find in most of his poetry that there's crucial political ideas embedded in them. Sometimes they seem to want not to be heard. Sometimes they're right on the surface, yelling out at you to understand it. They're an expressive element that represent some of the most crucial political ideas that he has. And that's what you find in many poems by Lawrence Ferlinghetti. Now we bring you this courtesy of Wheaties in the American Boy magazine. Dissidents, Big Sur. January, bright sun, tiny hummingbirds in the willows, suddenly flittering up as an ordinary American monster four-door sedan barrels up the canyon road, backfiring and farting carbon monoxide. And the hummingbirds take flight in a flurry of fear, a cloud of them all at once humming away into deep blue air where the sky sucks up their winged hum and in the infinite distance eats them as a crowd of huge, defiant, upstart crows sets up a ravening, raucous caw, 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 and screams and circles overhead and pickets the polluted air. As the metal monster power drives on up the canyon and over the horizon, and the crows now, too, wing away on wind and are sucked up and disappear into the omnivorous universe even as any civilization ingests its own most dissonant elements.
is right on the tip of the peninsula. That's where Lorenzo grew up mostly. Julie, too. Smile, you run, Carrie. Happy 45th Lorenzo birthday. Okay, I gotta make a wish. It's gotta be a secret, though. I can tell you one of them. Oh, okay. Live a long and healthy life with my family. Okay, 45 years young. Kivam. <laughs> Chakabrata. Where was this one? That was off the coast of Australia. Oh, yeah. There's another. I didn't know you had these. Yep, the mom kept them. Here's one in Big Sur. This is a classic one. I was watching Dad first thing in the morning. As soon as the sun made it over the top of the bluff, he would stand there chanting the sun mantra. Sun, sun, sun. <laughs> and that's where he thought of the symbol. The early days on Petrero Hill. Probably 1963, sitting on the front steps of 706 Wisconsin Street with my dad and Julie, my sister. Called the ghost house of Petrero Hill when dad bought it. And it was completely dilapidated. No foundation, holes in the roof. Front steps were falling down. Had some great memories in that house. And that's the Ferlinghetti family in uh, Ferlinghetti, A Rebirth of Wonder from 2009. He was about 90 around that time. And uh, 2019, he turned 100 years old, lived to be 101. And uh, today he would have been, or today, March 24th, excuse me, he would have been 104 years old. I know some of you would have been. Well, I have to give it to him because even though he's gone in the flesh he is still here very much in his words and in his spirit and the everlasting wonderful book shop that is city lights books so i've already said unpleasant dreams and i've said it again and it's the dr zeus film podcast because and i know I know there are certain people who remain nameless who are like screaming at me. You're not talking about film or music. You're just talking about food and getty. Yeah, but I talked about a documentary about him. So, you know, and it's my show and I can, you know, I can do what I want because when it comes to podcasting, for me, there are no rules. And that's the optimism that I maintain when it comes to doing this. I can do whatever I want in the show, but I do it in the, in the, I don't believe in saying try, but I would like to think I do it in a respectable manner and a freeing manner and um, a poetic manner. Because, like it or not, everything that we do is poetic. Everything. Everything that we do maintains a metaphor, includes a metaphor. See how tired I am? Huh. So, you know. And I, and I try to maintain that I've had, I was, I see I'm a teacher and one time I had a class ask me, what is a metaphor? And I said, it's like when you say that the sky cried, does the sky really cry? No. But they said, but when it rains, I said, yes. So you're using a metaphor right there. I don't, I'm not, I don't tell them I'm, I write poetry because that's just like so uncool to them, which is fine by me. I don't write it to be cool. I write it because it's in me and I want to get it out of me. Okay. Um, one day I'll, I'll read something on here one day. There are a few things that I've written and I'm talking about maybe like three pieces that I'm proud of. 
everything else. It's like, just put it to sleep. <laughs> just put it to sleep. Um, so yeah, this is the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. Unpleasant dreams. Happy 104 years, Mr. Lawrence Ferlinghetti. Thank you so much for the poetry, for City Lights books. Yes. Thank you.